Hello, and welcome to Reflections. I'm Rom Gaioso, your host. We are broadcasting via Futures Television, the home of the future on television. You can find us on Roku TV and on Apple TV. If you're listening to the show via podcast or watching us on television, you too can be part of the conversation. Just visit our YouTube channel, and that is IMCI Magazine, where we continue to chat about the topic of the day. You can also access this information on our website, and that is www.futurestelevision.com. So don't be shy. Today, our topic is literally out of this world. We're holding a series of special events of Futures Television to celebrate International Monday. We're holding uh, several different talks, and today our talk is about the moon in a very special way. What is it worth? And is there a business opportunity waiting to happen? Well, hold your horses. Today, we speak with Hussein Bokhari, the author of the Moon Market Report. I will say a few words about the guest before we get started. So let's get going. Well, hailing all the way from Gothenburg, Sweden, Hussein is a senior analyst at Northern Sky Research. He's the author of the Moon Market Report, Global Satellite Manufacturing and Launch Markets content communications via satellite, and many others. He's also the podcast host at Space Forward. Well, without further ado, let's welcome Hussein to the show. Hi, Hussein. How are you doing today? Ron, thanks for having me. I'm doing well. How are you? <laughs> Wonderful. Well, it's summer here, so you're in Sweden. For us, it's, uh, you know, 120 degrees. So I hope your weather is better than mine here. Well, it definitely seems like it's a bit humid with a little bit of cloudy. We've got some some rains coming in the next week, so but it will be fine. Wonderful. You know, I hope I did not too bad of a job at the introduction, uh, but please do say a few words about you. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think you covered it all. I really don't have much to add except the fact that, um, you know, I am an engineer and, uh, you know, I started off. Uh, my journey as an engineer um, when I was a student and worked on quite a few projects as an engineer. And then I shifted very much into uh, space, um, you know, after quite some time, having some time away from the industry and really reflecting, you know, and uh, on on the need for me to be part of uh, of the space ecosystem. So I think it's a it's definitely a good time for me to be on reflections because, you know, the way that I got into the space industry again, it was uh, dependent upon the reflection that I did during my time away. So, yes. So that was really actually one of the things I was mostly curious is so what motivated you to embrace space as a career? Well, that's a very good question. Uh, I think one of the things that kind of motivated me was the fact that space is a very fascinating medium, um, and it 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 really feeds to the capacity of us as a humanity to know and to learn and to grow um, and to feed our inner, you know, curious child that continues to thrive. And for me personally, you know, um, it all started in, um, you know, it's funny to say this out loud now, but in a civics class where we were trying to understand 
you know, what our careers would be and based on this standardized test and mine came up as an aerospace engineer and I was pretty good, pretty decent at physics and math and, you know, all those scientific science, science related, STEM related subjects. So that's what I, that's what I kind of pursued. And I was always fascinated with Einstein and, you know, uh, they were, uh, Einstein, Stephen Hawking, and the world's sort of best scientists that came through over the last uh, last few um, um, uh, last few centuries. So yeah, it continued to fascinate me, and uh, you know, my dad was always uh, one of my one of my inspirations because he was a computer scientist, which kind of meant that we got to tinker around the computers in the early days. In the in the late 80s and the early 90s so yeah that's wonderful stuff man well i'm not gonna tell you about my memories about computers it's gonna be it's gonna be very dating to me but i remember <laughs> the macintosh and things like this and, and i think with the first time i encountered a computer it was uh, it was a macintosh and uh, it was laughable uh, because uh, i thought it was like a slow typewriter and my brother was printing and trying to get the paper uh, to fit into the the little grids and stuff like that and then i look at him well this is useless and then he looked at me and says oh but you can play games on it i said what <laughs> and then that's what got hooked me it was the games i mean the games are you know probably simpleton stuff compared to today but that that's how i got started Okay, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, Northern Sky Research. What kind of work you do there? Um, yes, I mean, I am a, a senior analyst uh, at Northern Sky Research, and Northern Sky Research is a global leader in um, uh, satellite and space market uh, research and consulting services. It was founded in 2000 um, by our esteemed uh, president, Christopher Baugh. Uh, so we specialize in analysis of growth opportunities across, uh, you know, four core industry sectors, um, satellite communication, satellite applications and space infrastructure, uh, space infrastructure, uh, sorry, satellite infrastructure. Uh, and we do quite a bit of financial analysis. Um, we have been recently acquired by Analysis Mason. Um, so um, and my sort of role within the entire and uh, an SR team has uh, has been to work on the infrastructure and the application side of our house, which essentially means all the reports that you had mentioned previously. You know, I helped uh, either author them or co-author them as part of uh, as part of helping the market understand the trajectory, uh, the present, and the future trajectory of the market. Wonderful. So let's focus on one of the reports that you wrote. And again, today's shows is really about International Moon Day. And you wrote the report, right? Uh, moon Markets Report. Uh, so uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is the business opportunity in the moon? What what it looks like? Well, I, I think uh, there's, there's a couple of ways to think about the business opportunity. It's uh, the fundamental is the development of technology and the capabilities for spin-offs to be created that can support um, establishing a permanent presence on the surface of the moon and even beyond. You know, for us to understand um, what we need to de develop for a harsher environment than this Earth environment that we currently reside in is a critical step in the trajectory of humanities and in humanities need for 
exploring the space and becoming a spacefaring civilization. And part of that journey, and in order to accomplish that journey in a, in a safe manner, we need to be able to have a stepping stone. Uh, we had our first stepping stone when we went to the moon and we came back and we stopped. Um, unfortunately, that's not how it was supposed to go, but we did. We paused, I would like to say, and uh, we moved to a near region, which was more favorable for us and which was, you know, low Earth orbit, the medium Earth orbit and the geostationary Earth orbits. We have spent the last 25 to uh, uh, 25 ish years developing technologies that can help us understand um, and help us help us create a more safer environment as we transition towards the moon in a more um, in a more uh, after having reflected, let's say, uh, in a more sustainable manner. And what that means is that everything that we've been able to accomplish on Earth from space now, we'll be able to do a lot more when we get to the moon for Earth. Because as always, we have to be able to create value to anything that we do on Earth in relation to anywhere in the solar system that we go. Um, so that's the fundamental central point of the commercialization of the moon. Now, uh, what can we find there? I know there's like helium, right? So are there other like rare minerals? What kind of stuff can we mine or obtain from the moon? Well, um, first off, I mean, one of the things that that is very critical, the moon is dominantly composed of, um, you know, silicate materials. And essentially what that means is that there's different types of rock formations, which kind of uh, as part of those silicate materials, you know, you have uh, large amounts of silica, um, alumina, lime, iron dioxide, or iron oxide per se, uh, magnesia, titanium oxide, all these materials or all these chemicals have a very critical role in, um, in, in the, the things that we use on earth. And what that actually means is that all these materials and all these resources, and if we are able to extract them, will give us the, give us the capability to, to not rely only on uh, Earth's resources. So we're expanding our reach in a matter of speaking, which means you know, uh, expanding your reach for resources means more volume. More volume means more supply, which means that you're less constrained to be able to do stuff. You, you're able to do more with more right so that's the scenario that we've been looking at wonderful so in addition to uh, looking at just you know the minerals and, and helium and other things like that uh, what other benefits can we find in a commercial venture to, to the moon for example and you mentioned it a little bit but could we use the moon as just a starting point to other destinations to say mars or you know beyond that how, how do you see us using the moon well, one of the ways that we can use the moon, it's, um, it's through Regolith. It's building sustainable infrastructure and understanding how we can build sustainable infrastructure through utilizing what is known as Regolith, which is also lunar dust, no matter speaking, and also the most sticky stuff that you can find. Um, and, it's, um, and, and the other element is to be able to extract what is known as oxygen, what we breathe, but it's also a fuel source 
for, for rockets, which essentially means that getting to the moon and staying on the moon can essentially become a fueling station for beyond moon. And that has a very, very huge implication on our ability to, to continue to explore the solar system and become an actual spacefaring civilization. You know, and that is one of the bottlenecks right now because we don't necessarily have the technology in order for us to start from Earth, leave Earth, and go to a place in a sustainable manner with the resources that we're able to carry. And that is why Moon is a good, um, you know, a gas station per se. Yeah, we have to get started somewhere, right? And if we don't go to the closest one, I think will be uh, hard pressed to make the case for, for any other more distant uh, destination. Now, uh, on the NSR's moon market analysis report, you mentioned the moon market development cycle. So could you please explain what is this concept? Yes. Um, so the moon market development cycle is kind of uh, something that NSR uh, kind of undertook to understand and to further extrapolate, um, uh, you know, into how the transition from uh, a local Earth-based economy to a local space, uh, near-Earth-based, near-Earth-orbit economy to a more lunar economy would look like. What that means is that early on I had mentioned that, you know, going to the moon has a very, very strict primary objective, which is to be able to develop and deploy technology and to test that technology. But what that means is that it requires a whole lot of research and development for take place. And that is essentially the first step for us to be able to, you know, start our transition, which is what is happening right now. We're developing a lot of technology. We're developing an entire series of new rockets. We're developing an entire series of new landers. And this is where multiple commercial vendors are now involved with space agencies. Then it is about taking those, taking that R&D that is being conducted and understanding whether or not that R&D is able to be scaled in a sustainable manner and has the capability to service, um, you know, future, um, uh, future applications which is where um, you know funding comes into play because if you want to develop something for a near term you have to be very very diff very very strategically different rather than developing something for the long term and this is where different funding cycles will come into play and different funding sources will come into play and this is where government you know because moon is such a long term play this is where government investment is vital and this it continues to happen post that you know, uh, the the organizations that are involved in the development and the testing and the funding of will get into the product, you know, market fit type of scenario where you start to test and deploy and fail and then redeploy and succeed. Those kind of cycles try to understand who we can serve and why we can serve them and what's the need for it and how we can supply that need uh, in the best cost-effective manner. Um, and then we move into the into the idea of commercialization, you know, making it available 
to somewhat somewhat of the masses. Uh, it's a very small percentage of the masses. And then we have the fundamental of establishing a sustainable market. I guess it's one step at a time, as, as you mentioned. So, well, another focus of the report is on communications and infrastructure. So it, it can't possibly be easy to build on the moon, right? So what are your thoughts on lunar infrastructure developments? So how do we get started? Um, I think it's understanding the first stepping stone and, and uh, doing it from ground zero um, through a reflection of what and how we establish the infrastructure in near Earth, or near Earth orbit. Um, you know, the reason why we weren't able to go back to the moon is because it was very costly. And now we're trying to get back to the moon and it still continues to be a bit costly, um, but not in comparison to how much it costed us back in the 60s and the 70s, which means that we're in a positive trend. However, what that what that kind of leaves out, it's this capability to involve commercial companies into this into this fold, into this, you know, uh, into this fabric of creating uh, a lunar infrastructure. Part of that is understanding how you get from point A to point B to point C, which is where communications and navigation will come into perspective. You know, they go hand in hand because in order for you to create an infrastructure, it needs to be able to communicate with another piece of infrastructure. Cannot live in silos, cannot be developed in silos. So this is why communicating to Earth is also very critical. And this is where communication constellations can play a huge role as part of the development of that infrastructure, just like we've been doing since over the last 40 years with geosatellites, with now LEO satellites and, um, you know, our GPS and the way that we use uh, our phones on a daily basis, it's through satellite and that is infrastructure. And this is what we need to do in order to continue developing a good, sustainable infrastructure plan and strategically deploy that plan because that's a huge component. Okay, well, let's let's continue uh, perhaps along, uh, you know, the same line. So it, it, you know, it can't be cheap to build this infrastructure, the communications and the stuff over there. So, so who will pay for that? So what is the role that you see for, or is there a role? And you mentioned government, but is there a role for this private, you know, public partnerships? How do you see the funding take place? Um, well, as, as I said, a lot of the, R&D that is happening right now, uh, it is being supported by um, two sources of funding. Um, primary source for lunar market and deep tech market continues to be through government and government in, is investing quite a lot of money through commercial programs or commercially viable programs like uh, NASA's commercial lunar, uh, commercial lunar program, lunar services program. And, um, and, and this is a critical step into establishing a good partnership base. What that means is that uh, companies don't necessarily just have to rely on venture capitals in order to fund or bootstrap in order to develop a high piece of technology or a high technology piece of equipment. They can go to the government and work in tandem through utilization of different resources and different skills 
and different offerings that are available through government. Um, you know, NASA is the only space agency that has gone to the moon uh, in terms of the number of Apollo missions without the exception of others that has stepped on the, uh, with the Chinese being the most recent. So what that actually means is that, you know, this role of public-private partnership is to do it in a sustainable manner. It's to divide up the risk among, among both uh among both stakeholders and to be able to do that sustainably but to be able to do that in a in a risk friendly manner type of scenario and that's why right now what it looks like and it continues to look like that government will continue to pay for it with a very small percentage coming from venture capitals and and other types of um funding sources private funding sources okay oh it sounds like it's gonna be a tough way but and you mentioned nasa but you know who are the key players in the moon market well that is a very good question i mean at the moment the way that um you know we are articulating it is that there is a large role to be played by a lot of nations and nasa continues to highlight that through it's Artemis Accords, you know, that we cannot do it alone. And right as of right now, we've got numerous number of global countries and, and, and that have signed on to Artemis Accords and essentially means that NASA in collaboration and partnership with all those countries will be supporting the development of the moon market. But it's not, it doesn't stop there. There's a huge chunk of element that needs to go through for a military um, perspective, for a defense perspective. Moon is a strategic piece of, um, is treated as a strategic piece of land, which means that to be able to, you know, create a sovereign upper hand, you need to get there first. And how you do that is through establishing a vital element of uh, gaining um gaining a sovereign defense involvement into this market which is where organizations like darpa and space force will come into perspective i guess we need all the parts we can possibly get in order to pay for all of this right so uh what kind of or what would be the key trends in lunar market development what should we be looking at as you know oh, this does race really started you know this is this is serious what kind of trends should we be looking at or looking for? Yeah, and I mean, one of the things that we continue to look at is the exploration of budget approvals and, you know, continuing to continuing to be driven by um, the development of new technology and science payloads. What that means is that how will scientific, how will scientists support in the development of new technologies? So that is one thing to look out for, is that the, the, the rising tide kind of takes all is happening here with the moon market. Um, on top of that, what we're looking at, more commercial players um, being able to create better solutions and branching themselves out to look at the moon as a potential, potential resource for them to be able to you know, extract different um, different business models out of 
supporting the infrastructure on the moon or supporting vendors that will be on the moon. And the last thing that we continue to look at is this element of data. You know, data is the new currency and it continues to showcase that through everything that's happening in the current environment. So just as much as data is critical to us as human beings now, data will be more critical as we get to the moon and the sourcing of that data and the storage of that data and the replication and the transfer of that data, all of that will have a huge place. So look out for companies that are looking at uh, data um, and convergence on the moon. Well, wonderful, but it possibly cannot be easy to write a report on or about some place that we have never been. I mean, very few people have ever been there. So I'm really curious to find out from you what kind of challenges you encountered in creating this report. Um, well, one question with any deep tech uh, type of frontier focused report, as always, that uh, speaking and understanding the players and evaluating what they're doing and speaking to them. And this is what we do as part of uh, as part of our analysis at MSR is that we speak to the people who are actually working on technologies who are part of the market and are either driving or following along uh, into the development of this of this future focused endeavor. Um, and, and one of the challenges that we encountered was bringing all of this together, the tie in, the knot to try and help everybody else on the market understand the trajectory that it is heading towards, you know, and uh, part of that is knowing how to connect the dots and which technology will be able to service which uh, customer. Um, and for that, you know, we needed to have that, have those initial discussions with customers and with vendors and with the players who are part of developing this. What is at the top of their focal point, their strategy in terms of extracting resources or utilizing resources on the moon. Um, so, yeah. Well, wonderful. You know, uh, it seems we had such a wonderful discussion today. You know, folks, we're really just scratching the surface of the moon, I guess, here. Uh, we can certainly continue this conversation, but I'm afraid this is uh, all the time we have for today. My guest today, you know, Hussein Bokari, thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me, Ron. Wonderful. Let's talk a little bit about the uh, upcoming events. Uh, a few things are on the schedule. I will be talking with Dr. Maria Hoffaker, an amazing podcasting for Berlin, and the other show in focus in partnership with the World Future Studies Federation or WFSF will focus on the implications of the war in Ukraine for Germany. We have a fantastic lineup of speakers, and it will be a great discussion. And as promised, I'll bring back Mark Cox, the author of The Business Case for Love, and David Reamer, who will talk to us about getting our startup off the ground. And of course, we'll talk about upcoming Institute of Competitive Intelligence and other Frost and Sullivan events. So uh, don't miss it. By the way, uh, feel free to continue to submit your comments and questions on our YouTube page. Oh, make sure to read the present and present the guests and any other questions you might have. Uh, if you're listening to us via podcast or watching us via Futures Television, YouTube can be part of the conversation. Again, just visit our YouTube channel and 
leave a comment. So it's time uh, for me to start uh, thanking people again. Thank you, Hussein Bukharin, so very much for uh, being here with me and the audience uh, today. Uh, thank you for your participation in the show. Uh, you can always reach out to the magazine or to me via Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube. Again, thank you so much, and I will leave you with our institutional message. Thank you.